Welcome to the third episode of Zero Hour Strikes, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event Zero Hour Crisis in Time. Every issue, every tie-in, every zero issue eventually. I'm Siskoid. I'm Best. And in this episode, we take a look at Superman the Man of Steel number 37 and Superboy number 8, both occurring just prior to the first issue of Zero Hour. And Bass, neither of these titles existed during the previous era we covered, the 1988's uh, Invasion. Yeah. No, uh, in, they're both... Uh, we have uh, mullet Superman, <laughs> we have the new Superboy, mm -hmm. we have post-death Superman. There's a lot to unpack over here. Mm -hmm. Let's do each separately. Where was Superman in 1994? You sort of alluded to it. After Invasion, Superman went off into space. When he returned, he added a fourth monthly book to his schedule. Not busy enough. <laughs> it's what is known now as the Triangle Era of the Superman titles. Basically, it was a weekly title, even if the various creative teams might focus on different subplots or characters. At this point, Superman has died, uh, or had died, been replaced by four different Supermen, one per book, uh, which was perfect, and returned. In the recent Action Comics number 700, Metropolis had been partly destroyed by Lex Luthor, or really his assistant, Sidney Happerson, uh, when Luthor wasn't about to go through with it. And we'll find it in bad shape in the issues we're covering. That, that was Superman in a nutshell. I mean, you, yeah. were you reading the Superman books back I, then? The Death and the Return? I, I read The Death and Return of Superman. Actually, I bought The Return of Superman. Or, or Life Without a Superman. It's a trade paperback mm -hmm. that compiles like a bunch of stuff. I, I did buy that just recently. It was on discount bin. I just grabbed it for like nine bucks. Okay. So, so I'm kind of reading that right now. And Death of Superman also. I grabbed that one too. Like a little combo for like 20 bucks. So I was glad... To, to find that. So I'm reading 90s Superman right now. To me, the Triangle Era, because I basically read Superman from the John Byrne Man of Steel miniseries up through <sighs> mid to late 90s. Oh, wow. So a lot of the Triangle Era. Uh, <laughs> why, why did they call it Triangle Era? Because there's a little triangle on the cover that tells you the order. So you got like... So depending on which comic book or... Yeah, so let's say we're in Superman the Man of Steel number 37. There is a triangle on there that says 1994, 33. Oh. So that would tell you the order to read them from if you book wanted, to book. If you wanted to have like the chronological order right. for... Okay. Because Superman's story is really weekly. So this, this that's like the weekly count. Okay. And they did the same thing with Legion uh, when Legion had two books. Okay. So there was like a, not a triangle, but a little L with the number in it. Uh, so same thing here. So this is really Superman, 1994 Superman, number 33, but Superman the Man of Steel, number 37. Okay. For, tri so I, I for triangle see, fans. Yeah. I can see why they put the triangle on there. Yeah, so there were ups, there were downs. It, it was like, uh, but this was really the time when I was a Superman fan. Okay. 
uh, through this this entire era, the reinvention by Byrne, but mostly how the other writers picked it up afterwards and made something of it and created a real character out of him. And uh, and there were a lot of moments, you know, uh, revealing, uh, showing his identity to, to Lois Lane, the marriage yeah. with Lois Lane, uh, the death, which was not a spectacular story because it's just like two months of Superman fighting, fighting Doomsday. But everything that came out of it, Funeral for a Friend, and yeah. then the months without a Superman book, which were weird, and then the return with all these different Supermen. I thought that was like very readable, fun, trying to figure out what's going on stuff back in the day. And I guess kind of trying to figure out where Superman fits in all of this superhero pouches everywhere, extreme... He grew his hair long. <laughs> yeah. Grew- <laughs> and it kind of feels like a mullet. I, I know people uh, are like... Yeah, mm-hmm. I, we all call it the super mullet. It's not actually the definition of a mullet. No. But uh, he's got longer hair because, you know, he was dead yeah. and wasn't getting a haircut. That should have oh, that should have been awful for the alter ego type thing. Oh, Superman's back with you know, long hair and, hey, Clark, how's the long hair doing? Yeah, Clark yeah. has a little ponytail. Yeah, so glasses and an elastic band, apparently. <laughs> Perfect costume. Uh, let's look at uh, Superman, the Man of Steel. Yes. Number 37, it's by Louise Simonson, John Bogdanov. Not even sure how to pronounce his name. It's Bogdan- I always said Bogdanovi. Okay. But I think it's Bogdanov or something. And Dennis Janky. That one, we were supposed to pronounce the E. <laughs> uh, it's called Countdown to Zero. Uh, here's how it goes. As a Children of the Night benefit concert for Metropolis kicks off, Superman is contacted by Batman. But it's not the current Batman. Maybe more of a Neil Adams Batman? They soon meet Frank Miller's Dark Knight, who has also come to Metropolis to talk to Superman about time anomalies. And he's fighting the gang known as the Mutants on the side. Their agenda, apparently, is to kill the lead singer of the Children of the Night, who they correctly believe to be a vampire. A Bob Kane Batman soon joins the heroes, and together they fight the Mutants, who manage to shoot Jimmy Olsen's vampire girlfriend, but do her no damage. Everyone thinks it's all special effects anyway. Then Superman brings the Batman to Professor Hamilton, who confirms that they come from different timelines, and that time is out of whack. The Batman vanish. Superman hears another signal and meets the real, or let's call him the current, Batman, just as Metron crashes the party and announces Zero Hour. And speaking of crashing, uh, through the entire issue, we follow a Kryptonian space capsule flying to Earth, landing in Kansas, uh, and it turns out it's Jor-El and Lara, and to Pa Kent's surprise, they're here to bring their son home. I know! (laughs) That was a surprise, but yeah. and that's going to turn up in the, another Superman book, of course. This is a Superman book, but there's a lot of Batman in there. It's continuing on from the Batman that we covered last time, directly from that. And there are more Batman on the cover. The cover has a lot of more oh, yeah. uh, Batman they have, drawn by different artists. They have the animated series Batman. Yeah. They have Bat Vampire in there. They have yeah, like all different Elseworlds sure, and the, everything. The, the Kelly Jones. The, yeah. Uh, so there are a number of them. Dick Sprang. I, I'm, I'm looking at it now. You know, this is like, there's a sort of Jim Aparo. There's so this is a very eye-catching cover, and it's super interesting uh, because John Bogdanov did a piece uh, about this on uh, his space on just on Facebook and uh, showing what each one was. You can sort of follow along. But uh, the story behind it is that he basically, you know, he could have gone and traced over Batman drawn by other people, you know, from just like look through old comics and find appropriate poses to, to put them and just like glue them on sort of thing. Okay. But no, he trained himself to draw like all those other artists. 
so he could do their style, both inside and on the cover. I was going to ask about that, because uh, inside kind of looks, sometimes it kind of looks like the cropped out uh, Miller's Batman and really superimposed or maybe just did a montage with, you know, Photoshop or something. Because Photoshop was big in the 90s. Everybody was pirating uh, Adobe. So, you know, <laughs> I thought maybe it was kind of like that. But, I mean, if it's all drawn, wow, kudos. It's uh, great work. And basically, they're also he's also doing riffs because when we're in one of the Batman's realities inside the book, it's all kind of in that style. It's yeah. like the, the Batman's perspective is in that style. So you had to, you know, you couldn't just like poach panels from the Dark Knight Returns. Exactly. And I mean, there, there's one of the Superman's landing near him and there's like that lightning in the back and everything's mm-hmm. in shadow and silhouette, just like... Uh, the, the famous cover uh, from Batman, uh, from the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, and you've got them standing next to each other. you got like a classic Neil Adams next to a Bob Kane, like the super early Bob Kane, and yeah. they do the thing. I mean, he's still doing the riffs, even if he's drawing it themselves. It's still that famous Bob Kane Batman with the wings out yeah. on the gargoyle. There is still that shot, uh, which Bob Kane or his stable of artists drew Often, as as I came to find out when I was doing um, that that thing with with Ryan Daly with uh, uh, Batman panel by panel, that panel, yeah. that <laughs> same shot, and it, like Bob Kane was tracing himself, or he was making artists in his uh, workshop trace him. They were probably doing like three hundred comics a week, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. in a sweatshop. So yeah, he was tracing himself. <laughs> They didn't have a union then. Not only the the artwork, I mean, the inking is on point also with the style of the time. I mean, it's it's great work. The story is amusing fluff, uh, really. But uh, the idea was the art. Yeah. So even the, the idea came from the, an editor. And an editor said, oh, how about you do this? And it was uh, John's idea to, okay, no, I, just, I don't just want to do that. I want to go a bit further. Learn these styles, uh, bring these uh, these different versions to life as if it was like a jam yeah. uh, between different artists. So that's fun. And he also, drew, we're going to put this on the website at fireandwaterpodcast.com. He also did a companion piece, which is Batman surrounded by a bunch of Superman. A bunch of Superman. So you get the John Byrne Superman, you get the Kurt Swan Superman, you get the current Superman. So, you know. So, uh, we're going to put these, both these images together. Oh, yeah. On the site. An extra piece of art. Why not? We can do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. fun. It's fun. It's yeah. real, it's really fun. So I think this issue is mostly fun for that. Yeah. I want to know what you thought of the story otherwise. Well, you know what? Uh, everything up to the next issue we're going to talk about until we, we hit Superboy basically feels like we're getting set up for everything. And uh, this Superman story feels like a jumping off point for the real story. So it's fluffy. It's It's not too complicated. It's a lot of fun. But there's no real story attached to it. All we hear is... There's something wacky going on in time. And, you know, so yeah. basically... We're just we waiting don't... for Mitron to show up and yeah. give them their mission. And that's, I mean, that's the last three pages. Uh, you know, we're we're reading a lot of fluff. And I didn't even recognize Jimmy Olsen. But <laughs> the 90s, you know. All of this just amounts to... Uh, you call him Metron? I, I always call him Metron. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's Metron. I don't know. But uh, this new god... It's meter. It's a meter. <laughs> it's a meter, Yeah. Anyways, this new god shows up and uh, tells him, you know, everything's timey-wimey, so we need to fix it. And uh, this is where I think, because it's, it's a big book, it's a Superman book, it feels like a jumping-off point. 
Yeah. We need that or jumping on. Yeah, or jumping on. You don't on, want to yeah. jump off. <laughs> DC doesn't want you to jump off. They want well, you to jump in. You know, yeah, yeah. taking the plunge, right. uh, getting on the train. This is the moment yeah. where the call to arms sort of thing yeah, exactly. really starts. Uh, and everything before that is heroes noticing yeah. time anomalies. There is a story here. I think, you know, the way it ends is basically all this, the Batman sort of disappear yeah. by themselves. Yeah. So again, it resolves itself. Yeah, so it's, we don't have any more time. We need to get to that story. So that, that is the weakness of the story. But I think it's yeah. also we don't have much room for more because there's also all of that stuff with the Children of the Night, which was something going on in Man of Steel at the time. Yeah. So someone coming in, jumping into the middle of things... What is all this, right? Exactly. And, I mean, I, I did enjoy seeing all the Batman. And, and I mean, there are some loose ends on how this all works in the timeline type thing. Because we have Batman coming into our timeline. But we also have Batman fluxing from timeline to timeline. Oh, yeah. So, I don't Yeah, because there's only, like, three Batman. Yeah. But... But sometimes they're one. The artist changes yeah, exactly. while you're looking at them. and and it it becomes just too timey wimey. It's it's kind of a weird sciency loose end where there shouldn't be just multiple Batman's all the time. They shouldn't be fluxing in and out of different timelines or different looks, uh, in my opinion. But you know, it's it, it would have been cool if all those the promise of the cover the cover promises dozens of Batman, uh, but no, there's only three, and then maybe all in all we saw five or six. You know, all in all, it, it feels like an editor choice. You know, where you have to you have to show a lot of Batman, but we can't bring in all the Batman. We need to do this Children of the Night thing. We need to. Well, know. that's less editing, I think, than the writer because oh, maybe yeah, Simonson had to be doing her story. It's like yeah, we have to take like a couple months break because of Zero Hour, uh, but we don't want to take too much of a break, and we don't want to because like two months later, where were we? What was happening? She wants to deal with the destruction of Metropolis. Metropolis yeah. She has her storyline with the vampires, and eventually Jimmy's going to realize he's dating a vamp. Uh, and Lucky bastard. Well, I don't know how lucky that is, but it depends <laughs> how it ends. But she was nice enough. Uh, so at least, uh, at least Jimmy's dating. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, hey, give instead a guy of a break, right? Yeah, uh, I've done enough uh, pieces on uh, Lucy Lane to know that that, was, that is not a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> he dated Cat Grant for a while oh, as well. Thing. So, yeah, no, he uh, he needs to catch a break. Yeah. A vampire may not be it. I don't well, know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Unless you want to be drained of your blood or be some kind of a, you know. Yeah. If, yeah. What I think is interesting is that we here we're actually pre-hypertime. Uh, Grant Morrison is eventually going to bring in this idea of hypertime to say that, because that's really Grant Morrison's thing, to say it all happened. Nothing is voided. Everything is in continuity. You know, that's his big thing. Yeah. Um, so he used hypertime uh, at one point to explain it, to say that not only are there different Earths, because at this point there's only one Earth. True. Very true. So where are these Batman coming from? Time, I guess. But because there's never been, in the timeline, there's never been a Batman dressed like the Bob Kane. The way they speak, they know they're from the future. They know they're yeah. from the 1940s. They they look at Superman and they don't recognize him because their Superman is the 1960s Superman, is the 1940s Superman, yeah. is uh, the Superman uh, that in Dark Knight Returns. Obviously, they're not just out of time. They're out of continuity. So these continuities existed before, but they're not actually from another Earth. So what are they? So Hypertime would posit that not only are there different Earths, uh, or they might have been, there are different versions of continuity that vibrate at a different rate or something. And it's all happening simultaneously up to and including different art styles. 
different writer styles. So how can the super the Bob Kane Superman exist? or the Neil Adams Superman exists, or the Brave and the Bold Batman uh, exists. Bob Kane Superman is nonsense. The, the <laughs> Bob Kane Batman. Uh, how can they exist? Because they were never on another Earth. There's no yeah. Earth Bob Kane. There's no Earth Jim Apero. And yet that world looks slightly different, looks to our eyes, slightly different from the Frank Miller universe. Even the art style is part of that, the, the sort of shifts, the art style and the year. Because our heroes, even within the same continuity, are living through a Christmas every 12 days. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, it, you know, they, they've seen so many presidents go by or, you know, time moves on for us and for them. It's all scrunched up. So how can these events exist? So basically, so, hypertime, hypertime. hypertime is a easy way to explain infinite Earths in a, in a way where we have everything is part of continuity. Even all, when it doesn't make sense. It's like... Reality is always being a little adjusted. Yeah. Superman doesn't remember Christmas 12 days ago. Why would he? He thinks it's a year ago. Uh, but so all of these little shifts in the way people speak. Uh, you know, there's a point where I'm going to use Marvel Comics here, but, uh, you know, there, there is a, because that is a continuous story, right? Yeah. So your Spider-Man from the 60s, your Steve Ditko Spider-Man is yeah. the same as the 70s Jerry Conway Spider-Man and, yeah. and is the same as the Spider-Man of today. And somehow he's only aged. In, you know, in 60 years, he's only aged a few. Yeah. And there was a point in his, and even if we say, okay, it's all scrunched up, there was a point in his life when he was saying daddy-o. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how does he remember that, those events? Why was he speaking like this in what was presumably 2017? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This is, this is, this is blowing up my brain. I mean, does this apply to the Simpsons also? Because they yeah. have, they don't they age have, at all. They have, Halloweens all the time. Yeah, they have several Halloweens, and they're all in the same grade. Yeah, so they started it. It's yeah. all happening at the same time. Hyper time. Hyper time. Hyper time. Da -na -na -na. <laughs> <laughs> Hyper time. So, so, so the, that word does not yet exist at this point. Yeah, but I feel like in this little experiment, in this little fun bit, where we're just going to use different art styles, it is a manifestation of what will eventually be termed hyper time, hmm. because we're there's a single Earth. So okay, what we've seen up to date. Oh, bad girl's still alive. Maybe the time went another way. It's like a what if kind of story or something. It's like, well, but there's no what if. There's no moment where Batman becomes a 1940s mystery man. Exactly. Because that's not a what if. That's an Elseworlds. You know, but then the Neil Adams one, well, that's pretty close to the real one. But Superman can detect he's not actually the real one. Yeah, his back wasn't broken. Uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, how they, yeah, he's in yeah. the past. He lives. He comes from the past, but it's also a different attitude, and he knows. And I, he has these wonderful lips. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in the very, artwork, he's, he's well illustrated. Yes. So I think that, that this, it's interesting for that, where yeah. I feel like this is the first real instance of saying hypertime is a thing because Zero Hour is throwing it out there as part of its anomalies. It's not just what ifs. It's not just alternate Earths. Uh, it's past versions of continuity. It's like Batman had what ifs. Superman and Superboy, as we'll see, have another continuity crashing in. And in this case, they're really doing the another continuity, another art style, another time period. Another when comics everything. Were, uh, and, and saying that's, that's an alternate in a way. So the comics we were reading in the 80s, well, I was reading in the 80s. Obviously, if I read those now, they don't quite match up to what's happening today. Exactly. And I can't say, well, three years ago, five years ago, this was going on. It doesn't really work unless I accept that 
continuity is always being tweaked. Always, 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 always. At least for the sliding time thing, the where history is sort of scrunched. Yeah. So hypertime. Hypertime. talk about Superboy. Yes! Alright, Superboy, um, where was he in 1994? Some of the replacement Supermen were heroic enough and liked enough to get their own series. And there was a Superboy was one of these, Steel was the other. Uh, it's early days for him, it's issue, what is it, issue 8? But he's already well established in Hawaii, just previously to this, helped Superman with the Metropolis Crisis and inherited Crypto, Bibbo's foul-tempered dog. We're far from having to call him Connor at this point, but maybe we will just in conversation. Or from him knowing just whose DNA was used to create him. Today, common knowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I mean, if so. you're a Young Justice fan or if you read Superman comics. Or if, Super yeah, comics. if... Fan of Superboys? Fan of uh, Connor? You know what? I, uh, I really didn't like him when he came out. When, you know, these four Supermen came out, I thought he was just... Ugh. You know, because he was just... Too much of a... He was just a 90s kid. And I was just growing up... Weren't you? <laughs> well, you know... We, in a way. <laughs> kind of. But uh, he, he was like really 90s teenager going... Gone way too far. I don't know. I didn't really like him. My favorite my favorite Superman was uh, Steel. Sure. From back then. I think so. I th the same. I think this, yeah. I would say the same. Yeah. And, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised he kind of disappeared. You know, I, mean, I was like, oh, well, this is a nice superhero to have around. He has this big hammer. Yeah. But I really liked uh, Connor, or this super boy, when he came into the Teen Titans. Okay. So uh, The black the, shirt. The black shirt, uh, Jeff Johns, Teen Titans, for a call. And uh, that's and it, it's very uh, reminiscent or similar to the uh, Young Justice type uh, super boy. He was, he was lost, and he, was, he had, you know... Yeah. Uh, one DNA from Superman, the other DNA from, you know, this other guy. And he, he felt, it's Luthor. Yeah, it's Luthor. <laughs> well, felt torn. He was scared of himself. You know, and I, am I going to be Luthor? Am I going to be Superman? Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I kind of liked him in this angsty teenager type Superboy. Mm. Not this happy-go-lucky, I have powers and I fly and I say stupid stuff. Well, I liked them. <laughs> I think I liked them. At you the, liked the pouches. Well, the look was dated. Yeah, is dated. Yeah, uh, obviously the the fade and the earring and the the jacket and the, yeah. But I kind of still when they changed his uniform, maybe three or four years in. Yeah, because it wasn't it. very good. I, I didn't like the the redesign. So the big goggles. I don't know. Steampunk Superman. Yeah. No. Uh, so I liked him as one of these. I thought, oh, it's clever because Superman the Man of Steel will feature a guy called Man of Steel. And yeah. so, uh, and in Adventures of Superman, there was a Superboy. It felt like there was like the Man of Tomorrow is the cyborg. Yeah. There was the, um, uh, the, 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 the last son of Krypton was Eradicator. Eradicator. So they each had like their version. The Man of Steel was Steel. And then yeah. Superboy is the other name that Superman has been associated with. Even though there was never a Superboy in that continuity. Exactly. I like the idea of him. Mm -hmm. I like that his powers are slight, slightly different. And I like what eventually they did with the character. Because the series itself 
was a lot of fun. He was popular enough to have his own team book as well, yeah. Superboy and the Ravers, which I also read because it had like the H dial in it. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a sucker for that. But no, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think he was like an engine for fun, youthful adventure. And they, re- they quickly built a supporting cast around him. Tana Moon as his love interest. Dubalex as the um, uh, the sort of mentor, the, the sort of serious mentor, a foil for Superboy. Mm-hmm. Crypto, they just introduced Crypto, which is going to be like the dog that pisses in his car sort of stuff. <laughs> it wasn't like a super-powered Crypto. So I liked him then, and I liked those stories, and I thought, as we'll see with this issue, I thought the, the, the writing was fun and the art was good. It was see, very good. That, that's the thing. I didn't like him then, but this this one I read... I, I kind of dug it, and I, I found it to be clever, and, well, maybe you should do the synopsis. Well, we should. Um, and I was just going to end by saying that I like the black shirt Superboy as well. Eventually, he becomes, he comes into his own, and that is, he has, like, an, an interesting arc. It's too bad that they had to kill him for a while, yeah. because of a, uh, I guess, a lawsuit. Uh, they, they have a reference to these kind of things, or the problems with lawsuits and everything inside this comic book. Oh, do they? I I, I don't think I I noticed. So, uh, (laughs) we'll see about that. Uh, But I do like Connor today, and I I read his run in Adventure Comics, and then the Jeff Lemire uh, series, which came to an abrupt end because of um, uh, the New 52. I I dug all of that. So, I like the character, and I like him as part of, like, eventually he goes to Smallville, and he's palling around with the real crypto, yeah. and Ma and Pa Kent are sort of his foster family, or Ma Kent is, at least. So, I, I like all of that stuff that they did with him that to bring him closer to the original Superboy, and yet, he's still his own man, and he still has his own look, and uh, so... I like all that stuff. So I'm a big fan of Superboy. Uh, let's look at this issue. It's called, it's number eight. Uh, it's called Big Trouble in Smallville by Carl Kiesel, Tom Grummet, and Doug Hazelwood. So meanwhile in Kansas, Superboy, Dubalex, and Crypto are flying back to Hawaii uh, when a sudden storm damages the plane and forces them to land on a country road outside of Smallville, Kansas. Superboy helps guide the plane down, but he doesn't realize the original, pre-crisis Superboy, is helping him steady the plane on the other wing. He's just appeared, I guess shunted into the past from the Legion's future. So I guess we'll see those appearances when when we look at the Legion books during this uh, this time. While the plane is repaired, Superboy goes into town where he shows off for the locals and shops for music records. And meanwhile, after quickly flying away from the plane unseen, the pre-crisis Superboy goes home, changes into Clark Kent's iconic red sweater, and meets an older, ooh, Lana Lang, who is married to Pete Ross. He's hurt and upset uh, when she further doesn't have his memories of events. Hearing the commotion, the present-day Superboy intervenes they fight until Clark realizes he's the temporal anomaly and lets himself disappear into the time stream. The boy we will one day call Connor promises to take the load and fulfill Superboy's promise of saving history. Superboy next meets the Kents, not realizing who they are or that they share a destiny. And suddenly, a Metron-projected hologram of Superman appears to call all superheroes to action because it's zero hour. That's a great story. Okay, uh, thoughts? Y- y- well, you know what? I really liked it because uh, we really saw the difference in temper, the difference in characters between the two Superboys. It, it was kind of a show-offing how they're different and how they're the same. And uh, I really dug it. I really dug it from, from you know, the surprise storm where Superboy appears and uh, how they both saved 
this plane and super people like to save planes and, and <laughs> especially super yeah, the, I yeah just love when it. you say super people you mean the superman family everybody yeah. <laughs> everybody likes this and they save the hell out of planes but you know you have superboy connor or connell or uh, on one side using his tactile te telekinesis which is this fancy word for you know super strength and <laughs> well well it does more almost. than that it's it does very much more than that and, yeah. it's, and it's an awesome power And we have traditional Superboy on the other, on the other side, kind of taking his super strength for granted, but using other powers. Dug that. It was great. Their little fight was reminiscent of a Marvel book, but that was great yeah. also. But I also liked the way that Superboy didn't go all Superboy Prime and just went nuts. He kind of figured out that he was the temporal anomaly, which is something Superman would do, because he eventually, in some kind of continuity, hyperdive. <laughs> he becomes Superman, right? He's, yeah. He's Clark. And he knows that yeah. he's going to become Superman because of his time with the Legion. And he knows he has yeah. a history. And that's why you know, he he feels that he has to, to be dominant here. Uh, but he, he is the original Superboy because he's got that wholesomeness. Yeah. When, you know, at first he's hurt that Lana doesn't recognize him, that Lana, his girl, I mean, you're better off. I was, I was, oh, well, you know, yeah. I was bashing Lucy Lane earlier. The Lana Lang stories from the Superboy era are the same. She's, she's like Lois Lane, but there's no real prospects. So she's just trying to, to uncover his identity all the time. I don't, I don't think she's really a girlfriend, uh, in, in the way that, that she actually was for the John Byrne Superman, for this Superman. They went out into high school and he told her his. Yeah, when he was 18. Yeah, he told her uh, about it. So she was always the confidant. She was the one that knew, uh, yeah. along with, Mon Pa Kent, that's it. Even Lois Lane didn't find out until much later. So, um, and that, that's referred to here as well. But when he finds out, yeah, Superboy Prime would have gone crazy. Yeah. But Superboy Prime is kind of a, kind of a what if this Superboy went nuts. That's how it feels. Definitely. Like. But, you know. And instead, what we have is that he's, you know, he's hurt at first, but then he makes the right choices. Yeah. He, he cools down immediately. He, you know, he tries to figure these things out. And, and that's all compared To Connell, who at the same time is being a showboat. Yeah. He's doing good deeds. I'm not saying he's not doing good deeds. But he's deeds. obnoxious about it. Yeah, yeah. So, he, you know, he's, he's lifting up a car so they can, so guys can work under it. And he's like, he's being uh, mobbed by fans. I guess. Yeah. But people say, oh, cool. Yeah, he's a, he's a, you know, teen sensation. Well, for them, they probably only really know him because he's got that sign outside of town. The, the tourism board in Hawaii <laughs> is really upselling. Oh, yeah. To Kansas small towns or something because there's like this big you know, visit Hawaii home of Superboy uh, which depending when the anomalies take over sometimes the sign is the classic welcome to Smallville home of Superboy so it's like visit Hawaii or home of the actual home of, of uh, Superboy so th th that's the same sign just switching over so they probably know him because whenever they drive into town there's that stupid sign with that stupid Superboy but <laughs> but yeah they all you know and he has to escape sort of thing and goes into a music store and I feel like what is I, I like that scene but I mean like the girl is given so much personality she's not just the clerk she, she owns the oh, yeah. thing she runs the thing she was almost run out of town because yeah. of her musical choices she, she feels like a character in a comic book uh, That's important. And, and we'll never see her again, as far <laughs> as I know. Uh, so, but I, I like her appearance there. It means that they show that Smallville is the two sides. Because sometimes Smallville in this is the anomaly Smallville. On the yeah. cover, it's the anomaly Smallville, where all the cars are like, you know, from the 50s or something. And there's a malt shop, and it's like Lana doesn't recognize it because it's from the other reality. Yeah, it just wasn't there. 
but in this reality, in our world, in our contemporary world, we have a Smallville that may be rural, but that has you know a music yeah. shop that's run by a really groovy kind of girl where she, she you know she knows her music. This is this is what's interesting. I mean, you work in radio, so you know your music. You know some no, music. Some. Yeah, I did the same. It's like by necessity, our bag is more like French language music. But yeah, of course. But so Superboy's musical tastes because <laughs> he's gonna go, oh, cool. You know, I can't believe you have this one and this one. So what does Superboy listen to in 1994? And so, so I, I I wrote these down. Uh, I didn't recognize all the names necessarily. Uh, he likes Liz Fair. He likes Hole. He likes the Spinanes. And he and uh, he likes PJ Harvey, uh, which is what almost got. The owner closed down because of the conservative values okay. in town. So this is really interesting. Also, as a bookend to the Children of the Night concert in Metropolis at the same time, because there's like music. Yeah. People are super interested in music and they're putting it in comics. But it looks like Superboy just likes female voices. He likes female voices, female grunge voices. Yeah. Yeah. He's into the female grunge scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see him grabbing a Veruca Salt. A CD or, uh, or you know, yeah, hole is in there. So how? Can yeah, yeah. Like, but PJ know? Harvey. I mean, I mean, it's it's borderline. Yeah, obscure. You know, and uh, so I, I thought it was that was fun to because we don't explore that enough. Uh, you know, you, you might find a blog site or something that would say, oh, let's do an article on uh, what superheroes would uh, whatever their political party affiliation because that's not really discussed in comics. Unless you do like a, there was like an election special event that was yeah. pretty terrible. Or it's a, DC you Decisions, know, it was called, I think. Or it's a, it's a Green Arrow. Yeah, you but know. I mean, even that, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, they're on a political spectrum, but it's very much a comic book one. It's conservative versus liberal, but in the most comic booky sense of it. Yeah. It's not really. It's too centrist. We don't, yeah, yeah, we don't. <laughs> or, or it's too extreme, or it's like, too ex- really, is Green Lantern that conservative? Yeah. Um, or is it just conservative next to, Green Arrow and exactly. is Green Arrow that liberal? Anyway, so <laughs> because it's not real. So uh, same thing with music because that's that dates it. There's no way Superboy today could say, "Oh well, three years ago I was living through this adventure and I was really into Liz Fair." Possible, <laughs> quite possible. It's but, possible, but he's retro at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're, if you're early '90s, yeah, you're retro. Yeah. So I thought it was fun, and I, I'd love to see what other superheroes. Listen, listen to, to yeah. and <laughs> like to eat, or you know, because that's the stuff that you don't you don't see a lot. I don't think we could find that, but we could certainly figure that out. We could do a blog post. Oh yeah, or uh, um, a Fire oh, and Water yeah. Records uh, about it. There's just like let's <laughs> let's put music in the heads of the Justice Leaguers. That could be fun. So let's 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 write that down. Yeah, we'll pencil right. that in. So, but here it's really just it's like this weird little scene. But it's supposed to contrast with, yeah, this is the modern world, yeah. the modern Superboy. And we had like the classic Superboy in his ancient world, basically, yeah, ancient in terms of comics. Malt shops and who drinks malts? I like that whenever they do references in this, the references match the era, I think, because uh, you got the new Superboy is flying over a quarry. It's Simonson's quarry. So Louis Simonson, who writes... Superman the Man of Steel. And then the soda shop is Schwartz's soda shop. So it's named after uh, Julia Schwartz, the editor of the Superman books in the 70s. They're, they're doing maybe references divided by era. Uh, there's also like references to 
like the guy goes, uh, the, the pilots of the plane. One of them is distracted because he thinks he sees classic Superboy. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't know what he's seen. And the other one goes, uh, you know, step out of it. He says, Earth one to Wade, but there's no Earth one. There's no Earth two. There's no Earth. No. So he's exactly. pulling that that weird reference. There's also a Submariner reference in there. There's so, a Submariner reference, and there's this reference where the two Superboys uh, collide for the first time, mm-hmm. and Connor says, "Whoa, you're threading. You're you're close to a copyright infringement." <laughs> okay, that's the that's and the, that's okay. the that's the reference to the new Superboy, right? To you the, uh, the 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 the. I guess the lawsuit for the Siegel family, uh, and for a while, yeah. after this, actually, after this, DC thought, well, we can't really use Superboy, because the fight was, did Jerry Siegel create Superboy, or is it just a byproduct of Superman having created Superman, which we, yeah. we own, uh, or, and is this new Superboy anything like that original Superboy, so does it count, sort of thing. So, I mean, I, mean, I don't know that ins and outs. I'm not a, a law expert or anything, but that is a reference to that. I think, uh, you know, references to the death and reign of Superman is, are in there. Yeah. Wait till I'm dead. I mean, we can call them Easter eggs or whatever, but there's a bunch of them in here. I mean, go. They mentioned the insect queen. Yeah. Superboy goes through the, the trap door in the woods that goes into his house. Yeah. I, and cause and, he didn't live on the farm anymore. He lived in the house cause Pocket yeah. ran the general store. And that's true. Uh, but there's also this weird thing where the time, uh, like, it's like there's a, a time bubble around, uh, Superboy from. Oh, around origin, him. Around, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the trapdoor wasn't there. And then he has this weird headache. And then it's there. And it's like he's creating, or he's creating this temporal anomaly bubble. Yeah, because he doesn't go to a house. No. And find out, I don't live here anymore. His house is there. His, yeah. car, his, clothes, his clothes are, are there, there. His parents are in there, but. His clothes are there, and then and then the shop, the, the malt the, shop, the malt is there. Just happens everywhere else. Everything's normal. Yeah, yeah. So there's this like area of effect where Superboy has this yeah. thing on time. So Lana's. I mean, it doesn't seem to affect people. No, because really. Lana is not affected when he comes in next to her. She doesn't suddenly remember Chandu the gorilla or the yeah. insect queen or Superboy robots, which she mentions. Yeah, but she's not changed. So it's just the world. Yeah, and although presumably. You could have had service in that mall shop. Could Maybe have. there are people that, that cross over like him. This is also the first meeting between Connor and the Kents. Yeah. It's off-panel, uh, but they do sort of, I guess, they, they, they tell him, you remind us of our boy, and they know what's up, obviously. Yeah. But he doesn't, And but eventually he would wind up living on that farm. Yeah. yeah so that, I think that's, that's cool. That's a, like a cool little thing that happens. This obviously happens before the end of Man of Steel number 37 that we just covered. I mean, we see the Kents, and they have not yet met Jorel and Lara, or else this would be part of the story. Yeah. So things aren't, it's, you know, time is, isn't like easy to follow, just like in the Batman books. It's not quite matching up. Everybody's doing their own thing. Yeah. And it's like kind of askew. So this just happens before that moment. But then at the end of that, there's the call from Superman. Which happens just after 37. <laughs> I mean, this is going to happen all the way through. We're, yeah, we're going to have everything these, zero yeah. hour, except for the, not the zero month that came after, but the zero hour, that's just one month. It's basically <laughs> a month of comics. So it's all happening simultaneously. You may not read them in the right order when you were reading you, them back then. They may not have been published in the right order. Yeah, you will not read them in the right order because I don't really think there is a right order. And I don't think we're reading them in the right order either. So we do what we can just the same way that but now we haven't covered the, the last Valor issue, but that's where Superboy yeah, 
disappears from and he reappears in this book right and that seems much more advanced in terms of what's happening with zero hour as far as i can recollect so uh you know bear with us these comics are cannot be read in order no it's it's just not possible there will be no order we will make sense of them or try to any last thoughts uh you know what a lot of fun for two superman books i know superman has this somewhat weird reputation of being maybe boring these were not boring. They were great. They were fun. Oh, yeah. The first, the Superman uh, book was kind of fluffy, but still a nice lead to uh, Zero Hour. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm a Superman fan, so that helps. We'll take a short break. And when we return, your feedback from our previous episode. For the month of November, the Fire & Water Podcast Network is sponsored by the wonderful, all-ages graphic novel, The Only Living Girl. From David Gallagher and Steve Ellis, the award-winning team that brought you The Only Living Boy, comes this thrilling new action-adventure series, The Only Living Girl. Hi, my name is Andra. People call me Z. I was a normal girl. I loved science, my bear, and my dad. One day, tragedy struck. But that wasn't the end of my story. I awoke in a patchwork world filled with mermaid warriors, insect princesses, robots. A world created by my dad, who had become a mad scientist. Now I'm stuck in a world that doesn't trust me. In a conflict with my father's creations. Luckily, I still have my friend Eric. And my bear. I am the only living girl. The Only Living Girl, Volume 1, The Island at the Edge of Infinity, is available now in both hardcover and paperback from Paper Cuts. Letters lost in time! Letters lost in time! That's feedback. <laughs> it is feedback. This is what I'm going to read. Feedback. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the Batman and Detective Comics issues of Zero Hour. Yeah. So, uh, in which, in one of them, Batman uh, finds his parents alive in a continuity where they were never killed, but he was. Yeah. And uh, But by the end of the story, they're back to their graves. And then in the other one, it's a, like a mishmash. Batgirl is alive again. She was never shot in Killing Joke. Robin's in there. and Crazy stuff going yeah. on. So, uh, Michael Bailey says the change of Joe Chill not being the killer of the Waynes was one of the dumbest retcons in the history of the character. Dumber than the urban legend thing that popped up after Zero Hour. I know that Batman is a fictional character and is art, uh, and thus open to interpretations, but for my money, and based on the original origin, Bruce Wayne didn't become Batman to get revenge on the killers of his parents. He swore to fight all crime. Batman works best when his mission is to prevent what happened to him from happening to someone else. Revenge might be a factor, but there's a higher calling than that. Him catching Joe Chill and eventually Lou Moxon was more for him than for the mission, and it didn't change anything. I just don't get the thinking on this, especially if that thinking is, well, if he caught his parents' killer, he'd stop being Batman. Which is what the story sort of yeah, suggested, yeah. but then said, nah. The story agrees with Michael, but 
also puts some doubt as to whether or not. So it's like, I think Michael's saying, there was never a question. And yeah. the, the comic asks a question that it shouldn't have asked, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But Or but maybe we, we did. We do in conversation. It's not clear. <laughs> but we do have a mirror of, of a Batman's origin with uh, which Robin has his parents killed? All of them. All well, oh, <laughs> eventually all. Uh, of them. Well, it, maybe it's, Damien. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's Dick Grayson's parents Dick. get shot and on the high wire. Does he does he go out for revenge or is that just in the movie? I don't know. There's too many Batman, but uh, I mean, there's there are many references to you know Robin trying to get revenge and Batman saying you know you're doing it for the wrong reasons if mm-hmm. you're. That happens the in the animated series for sure. The Robin from the animated series, that, that story is very crisp in my mind. Yeah, so maybe that's where I'm getting it from. But uh, yeah, there's this thing where, you know, Robin wants revenge and he's Batman's like, whoa, 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 whoa hold your horses there, big boy. It's not for revenge. You're doing it for a higher yeah. purpose. And- when I call it revenge on Batman's part, I see it as getting revenge on behalf of everyone. For You know, it's like, let's punch your way through the underworld. <laughs> Because they deserve it. Because you're you're exacting revenge for everyone who's been. It's not revenge for you. It's revenge for everyone. So you're the vengeful angel of everybody who's been. Yeah. Because I like to think of the the Trinity, the DC Trinity, as Superman saves people, Batman punishes people. You've got Wonder Woman is more of a conciliator. Who I think of her as more proactive. Her environment becomes peaceful, where she yeah. is, prevents things from happening. Well, she has kind of that aura. Whereas the other two are more reactive. Yeah. But Batman definitely is the guy that goes into action once a crime has been committed. You know, a crime has been committed, I'm going to go and punish his ass. So that is a form of vengeance. Yeah. Uh, Chris Franklin agrees with Mike anyway. He says, uh, Bailey stole my comment. I did love me some Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan, Detective Comics, though. A highly underrated run of comics. Dixon was a one-man Bat universe in a lot of ways. A golden age in Gotham. I think Bass hit the Batman issues problems on the head. Just too much weirdness going on. The Robin story hinted at here is much better, as is the Superman Man of Steel issue, uh, which this leads into, which we just covered. I did like Magman Lee's brief run as artist on the title. Doug Mensch was always solid, but I preferred Dixon and Alan Grant at that time, and still do. Keep up the great work, fellas. Hopefully a young Shag and Rob won't show up at your door anytime soon. And if they do, tell that hippie Shag to get a haircut. Well, I don't know if I want to tell him that, because it's permanent. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Baker Wright says, this is a response to the issue you and Bass brought up uh, regarding too much going on. Uh, for some stories, throwing everything at the fan and being weird is very much the point, And I strongly felt that this was such a story. If it's confusing at parts, it's because it's meant to be. To put it another way, it's a feature, not a bug. In a related vein, yeah, Old School Robin doesn't do anything but show up in the story. But as Siskoid says, it's set up for something else later. If you're confused now... That is still no, in no way a negative reflection on the story itself. Oh, yeah. I can dig that. But with, you know, 24 pages, you, you don't really have room for, you know, just things that aren't, aren't meant to be there right now. So that's basically what I'm thinking. But, of course, this is a much larger story arc. And we'll see all these open doors, you know, get filled in later right. on. Were you less distracted by the Kryptonians capsule landing in this one? Because it was like on almost every page. You know what? It's a question of point of view. And uh, with the Batman story, with all the Robins and the Batgirl and everything, there were multiple points of views. In this Superman story, it's always Superman's point of view. So this is easier to follow around and deal with the craziness because 
everything is Superman's point of view, which is easier. Except that there are those panels, which Except are for these an omniscient meanwhile in space. But that's a reveal, right? right. So it's, it's, you know, it's, oh, a little hint, a little hint, a little hint, a little hint, and then all of okay, a sudden... Okay, yeah, the reveal. Robin thing doesn't pay off. It doesn't. It doesn't pay it's off. It's not like right at now. the end, Robin meets Robin. Yeah. Do you and Robin number whatever? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be like that, but if you're going to have a character who's lesser character, who has a story arc... You want that story arc to be fulfilled in that particular story within the larger story arc. So, you know, hinting at Robin is just hinting at Robin. You'll have to buy 15 issues to get Would you it. have been less disturbed by it? Disturbed? Uh, <laughs> disturbed by it if uh, there had been an asterisk and it would have said, see Robin number whatever? Seeing him maybe two or three times in the book would have been great. But right now, it's just a, you know, a pop-up. Bradleyman says, I'm a fan of the multiple Earths idea. I remember buying Batman books for the first time in years. I wanted the multiverse back so bad. So much hope when this came out. Spoilers, that's not the emotional reaction I had in the long run. <laughs> but I don't think they needed to bring back the multiverse this quickly. I think they're just hinting at their, it's not gone. Yeah, it could come back. But to me, that was never the, the, the point. Because it was called Crisis in Time. So I thought, okay, this is how you do a crisis-type story with history yeah. as your canvas instead of the multiverse. You can still do all these weird mashups and people crashing in and people that shouldn't meet meeting uh, and still do, like, the crisis. You know, the crisis would still be, I don't know, the, you know, the Golden Gladiator and the Black Pirate meeting Superman meeting the Legion. You can <laughs> still do that. Yeah. Uh, within the same, you know, the, the one universe. So to me, it's, that seemed clear. It was yeah. called Crisis in Time. It, I think it, they're not doing Crisis again. No, and it is a Crisis in Time. Joe X says, The other Batman retcon to come out of zero plot hour, my denigrating term for it at the time, was O'Neill's insistence that Batman was just an urban legend, despite his being part of the Justice League. Presumably, Zero Hour also cleaned up other extraneous bits of Batman non-continuity, like his brother Thomas from the Zany Any World's Finest, and Joe Chill's mother Alice Chilton being Philip Wayne's housekeeper, uh, and the one who raised young Bruce. Uh, well, I think Joe, that was all wiped out in the crisis. There is no, <laughs> there is no way post crisis Batman has all the weirdness of the 60s and 50s or even 70s added in. Everything you think was never referred to again from the 80s on, that was wiped out in crisis. Yeah. Zero hour, not necessary. Uh, Diablo Frank, let's uh, open up the book. I see you're doing a hybrid of chronological coverage by publication date and continuity slash subject character. So you were compelled to front load two of the six Batman family titles that tie directly into Zero Hour in the first month alone. It's just that, truly, I feel the modern Dark Knight is exhausted as a concept of value. Every variation on this emotionally stunted man-child has been exasperatingly played out. And I just cannot summon the will to care anymore. This is simply a construct of masculinity that, as a culture, we have mostly necessarily moved past. Its adherents are the deserved recipients of woke social media scorn, and all avenues of discussion have been trod to quicksand. <laughs> that is his opinion on Batman. This is very, very poetic. I love it. Uh, and I gotta say as well that uh, about the way we're covering it. Yeah, I... We're trying to do two issues at a time, unless it's actually a zero-hour comic. So, yeah, we're doing uh, Batman together and mm -hmm. Supers together and trying to find themes where we can. And also keep it in some sort of chronology, because it was hard to say when some of these stories happened, but um, I think we can be fairly certain that 
the stories we're covering now all happened before Metron's call to, to yeah. Superman. And Frank goes on. He says, Detective Comics became the spare Batman title by the 80s. Although I know Grant uh, Brayfogel have devoted fans, of which I am not one. Aside from a passing interest in anarchy, I managed to avoid the book until getting sucked into Nightfall a few months late before going back to pick up what I missed. I presume the continuity between the two main Bat titles was looser than Triangle-era Superman, but thanks to the demands of the crossover, I found it difficult to distinguish between the two. I'd had more experience with Doug Mensch than with Chuck Dixon, but I'd mostly concluded that the former was merely serviceable and the latter failed to distance himself from that judgment at the time. As the flagship, I was more familiar with Batman's eponymous series, having picked it up sporadically since becoming reacquainted through a three-pack of 401 to 403, that's year one, and the purchase of the last chapter of year one from a mall bookstore having been weaned on Jim Aparo in Brave and the Bold and Jim Starlin in general, I naturally gravitated toward that title during their run, especially for A Death in the Family. I departed with Starlin afterward and the book was also caught in my late 80s anti-DC malaise, a sampling here and there never leading to a second consecutive purchase. And I was reading Batman at the time, uh, like Nightfall and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I was that kind of Batman fan before that, like in the 80s. So I pick up an issue here and there because I had extra an extra 71 cents. <laughs> that's, that's all it was. All of this to say that when I returned for Nightfall, I at least had a nostalgic appreciation for Apero. And though he was nearly blind by that point and a loose pale shadow of his former glory, uh, Graham Nolan was just the other guy. As someone who uh, has felt acute frustration over an inability of some artists to follow simple instruction in the realm of pin-up image for convention commission, I can understand why writers, artists like Graham could always get work uh, for their clear, reliable, faithful storytelling. As an older, more seasoned fan, I can better appreciate these craftsmen, but in the chromium age... As a devotee uh, to the church of the excessive cross-hatching, I was unconcerned with how thoroughly these workhorses could till arid soil. <laughs> the novel goes on. By Batman number 500, I was well over Asbat, and I opted out of almost all things Night Quest. I resumed for Night's End, inexplicably, given how little entertainment I'd derived from the Nightfall. Uh, blame the 90s again, I guess, for not just saying Night Night. By that point, Dark Hawk artist Mike Manley had taken over Batman. He was objectively an improvement, but only so far as I still think of him as Dark Hawk artist Mike Manley, the guy who did way too many Marvel Universe Series 3 trading cards to not serve as a poster boy for how the company was visibly gutted following the image exodus. It similarly demonstrated DC's deficit of Flash that a core title could be improved through the addition of Dark Hawk artist Mike Manley. As for the tales presented here, finally. So one is a grown Batman crying for the loss of his parents, whom he avoided for most of the issue in pursuit of an ultimately needless investigation that invalidated other stories. And the other one was about highlighting the trauma inflicted on a female supporting heroine in service to a popular villain that was never adequately educated uh, through teasing the restoration of her unimpeded mobility. Much like Oracle, I can't get up for this shit. Obviously, I owe you and probably the listeners another meal for the letters section alone. I can't believe he read the whole thing. <laughs> uh, we love... I didn't, actually. Uh, we love visiting you guys uh, because we, we did say that we met Diablo Frank this summer. He said, we, lo uh, we love visiting you guys and, and just wished 
uh, we'd had longer. But I was in a hurry to get to Connecticut to saddle unsuspecting artists with my unrealistic expectations. Still not over the cognitive dissonance of matching previously disembodied voices to their human hosts. 100% with Shag on that one. But I was delighted to share corporeal space with them. Even though this was August, I still... Don't feel like the trip is entirely over, surely aided by my still dealing with the consequences of the flooding here in September. So my Canadian comics still haven't left their paper bag, though I'm looking up at my $5 Wanda Blake figure on the shelf as I type. Got that one at Spin It. Uh, looking forward to another trip up north to the inevitable first international fire and water traveling con, and maybe we'll finally cross the threshold of the Lonely Hearts Romance comics grotto next time i made sure to tell rob that cisco doesn't actually hate him it only seems that way which is good since he and bass are actual frost giants that could easily squish us puny little flesh bags the north remembers <laughs> I, I don't know where this rumor of my hating rob started or <laughs> I don't know. who started it rob i think you started i hate you for starting this fake rumor about my hating you but the Frost Giants thing is, is real. Yeah. Ward Hill Terry says, let me get this straight. Batman finds himself in a world where his parents are alive and he takes no time to watch them, listen to them, or put on a disguise to talk to them. I would love to hear my dad's voice again. I would be much less interested in what car he was driving, even if it was a classic antique. I barely understood what you guys are talking about, but I love to listen. <laughs> so I'm going to stick with the show. I'll try to limit my snark to less than Frank. I'll be snarky and pithy. <laughs> Santarin says, possible spoiler for Joker movie. Well, we've seen it. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the movie, the Waynes leave from that period's Zorro movie. It was Zorro the Gay Blade from mm -hmm. 1981. When I saw the movie Theater Marquee, uh, I knew what was coming next. So the latest movie to show Batman's origin used Zorro to tell the audience in the know what the year was and what was going to happen. So the Joker movie takes place in 1981. Hyper time. It's hybrid time because Batman's always going to see a Zorro movie or maybe like a Fleeter Mouse opera if you're really, <laughs> if you're really pretentious. But he's going to see that a Zorro movie. What Zorro movie is it? And that's always going to change. It's always going to change and it's always the right one because hybrid time. People have wisely not asked what I thought of the Joker movie. <laughs> I might talk to you about it after the show. <laughs> uh, Jimmy McGlinchey says, hi, Bass and Siskoid. Thanks for the great podcast. I found it interesting that you reviewed both Batman and Detective Comics together as, from what I remember, the Detective Comics issue came out uh, the same week as Zero Hour number two. That's the third issue. Uh, having said that, the Detective Comics tale had no impact on the Zero Hour 2 and was more or less a standalone. So recounting the story now was a solid option. However, given the interlinks between Batman 511, Superman Man of Steel number 37, and Zero Hour 4, were you tempted to review all of these together? Um... Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, we're winging, like we said, we're winging it a bit. Uh, it's not the order they came out in, but I mean, there's no place to put that Batman story. Yeah. We're making it up as we go. As on. we go. That's it. The story, the zero hour, he says that the zero hour issues were a nice change of pace for the bad books after the long but enjoyable Nightfall trilogy. It served as a cleanser before we got to the final wrap up of the Nightfall saga with Prodigal and Troika coming up post zero hour with the subsequent turning away from the joint storylines to allow Mench, Grant and Dixon to tell stories they wanted to tell. Well, at least until Contagion. As opposed to the Triangle era, Batman is like, they'll do the little number, kind of follow it in a certain order, but by arc. So okay. Nightfall was all, yeah, everybody's participating and you got to read them in order. But then in between the big arc and like the, the next big arc, which was Contagion in this case, you could run your, your various storylines okay. unimpeded, basically. 
Uh, Tim Price says, uh, some standard occupier event issues here. My take was that they gave the Bat Team something to do as a kind of palate cleanser between the exhaustion of finishing Night Saga and finding the new direction going forward. I waffle between feeling meh and annoyed to have a teaser of Babs Bad Girl when I really like her as Oracle and an unnecessary redo of the Joe Chill element. So he wasn't impressed. As for David Ace Gutierrez, he says, great episode. Man, is Batman tiresome or what? <laughs> so it's amazing how many people dislike Batman at this point. It's crazy. Have we actually hit peak Batman? Too much Batman? Is there Batman is, fatigue? Is there such a thing? Bat fatigue? Batman's going been going too strong since 1989. Yeah. How many years is that? It's like 30 years. That's a lot of years. That's 30 years of Batman and now people are feeling fatigued. Now. It, it took 30 years. It's a wonderful run. Cuz cuz we have <laughs> We have three three Star Wars movies coming out in like four years, and they're like 19 years apart, and we're already at, at Star Wars, Star Wars peak. fatigue. Mm. We can't handle this. You know, everything's going to go downhill from here. But Batman <laughs> goes on for 30 years, and now we're kind of feeling it. And this is not general pop. No, it's, I mean, it's, we, we understand this is geekdom that's getting of course, tired. Of course. General population. They're, they're fine. Yeah, of course. They'll, they'll always be fine. Is it too soon to announce I have zero hour fatigue? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say it now and it'll still be true because of hypertime. Hypertime. Uh, before we go, we have to mention that the Fire and Water Podcast Network now has a Patreon page. So if you like our content, please think of making a one-time or monthly donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Uh, you can get on the zero list by, you know, sponsoring it specifically yeah. at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. A reminder that you can leave us comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow the Fire and Water Facebook page. And on Twitter, the account is called fwpodcasts. With an S. We'll see you in a month with more superhero and timey-wimey action. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes, Green Lantern and the Flash. Thank you.